Jim, shut up and tell me what you've been up to this week. What have I been up to this week? Yeah. All of what I've been up to has been done with you. So you know what the people can listen to? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just confused as to why you're asking me that. Like, you know exactly what I've been up to. Stuff. I mean, you know, for various meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. I mean, we've been doing work and stuff that we can't really talk about as well. So. Not yet, but it's very exciting. Oh, it's very soon. It? It's very, it's, it's coming, it's coming. And um, yeah, we've just been sort of going about the place going, oh, yeah, things are, things are working out. Things are getting really good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, frustratingly, we can't say... In fact, this, you know, we'll never be able to say, we should just admit now, the whole thing's a front. We're into arms trafficking now. So, yeah, uh, I please don't believe that. No, um, no, we're definitely not. We're definitely, it was, it we're was not just doing a joke, that. Jim. It's just this a is joke. Like, me and my dad were playing um, Frontier Elite 2, and this was like back in 1994. We, we, we both had saves on the game, you know, the space trading, you know. Yeah. And I really loudly said that this had happened like the night before, but I very loudly started talking about how my dad had got into trouble with the police for dealing in narcotics. <laughs> and my mum and dad were immediately like, you can't say that out loud. <laughs> like, don't fucking say that. I remember it up at a, a school being, uh, being asked to, write, to draw a picture of what your dad does. Um, so I was like, oh, my dad's a, a shoplifter, which I thought meant a forklift truck driver, neither of which he is. So there's a little tidbit for you. People would believe it, but, but there's a really obvious joke that neither of us has made. I know, I thought you were going to dive yeah, straight yeah. into that one. I'm not, no, I, I've turned a corner. In, you know, <laughs> Bullshit. Did, I mean, did every other kid in that class go, well, yeah, so was mine, but I mean, that's not his job. Wow, 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 listen, listen, shut up. I'm going to ask the questions now. Do, Dave, no one cares what you've been up to, okay? And no one cares what, what I've been up to. What have you been up to, to Burns? What have I been up to? Well, firstly, I've been uh, working. Uh, yeah, and uh, at this very moment, I'm waiting for the new Hitman. What, what did you guys do on the weekend actually? Because I never saw you on that bit. I never saw you those days. Because I think because I, I did like how we basically spent sort of every waking minute, uh, usually in the same room or on the same train. Mm. You know, uh, and then the weekend happened, and we both we all just sort of went fucking silence now. Don't want to speak to those guys. Yeah, well, you've got to have that distance, haven't you? Yeah, you yeah. can't be fucking in each other's pocket all the time. So what I did is I went to my friend's house yeah. uh, on the Friday. It wasn't Dave, was it? No, was that sort of no it wasn't. Purpose? Right. Yeah, and uh, he's got he's got a real Land of the Dead building. It's got a fucking Lamborghini parked downstairs in it. It's not his. Mm. And it's got a roof terrace. And I was so excited. It's a lovely sunny day to be able to go onto this roof terrace. Yeah. Yeah, and then it turned out they lost the fucking key fob in it, so it's <laughs> fucking flat. Got to. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my uh, real twatty London uh, Friday ruined. Mm. So we had to sit in a really twatty apartment instead. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was, yeah, it was yeah, horrible. Yeah. In the context of the world at the moment, it was fine. <laughs> Dave, what have you been up to? Um, what did I? Do? Yeah, when I've not been with you, mugs. I went. I went to the Royal Albert Hall. Did the, uh, did yeah, the Independence Day? You, you did the thing that I wanted to yeah. do. And nobody would go with me. Yeah, it was awesome, yeah. and we we whooped loudly at the appropriate places. Uh, yeah. What what were people like? It like you know when that fanfare starts after he finishes the speech. Was everyone just like, fucking yeah? I, I mean, m- most people were impressed. Me, me and my friend Warren were, were literally whooping. Yeah, um, yeah that's... Oh, it, is, it is actually a better score than I gave, than you gave it credit for going in, actually. Yeah. By David Arnks. It's not got that iconic kind of theme track that, you know, um, mm. Jurassic Park or something has. But seeing it with a full orchestra is incredible. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a really good score. But yeah, as you say, it, it doesn't have the... 
it doesn't have the anything iconic really i mean i can i can probably hum the whole thing the entire fucking end credit score because I'm a fucking saddle and there was a time when I was watching that film twice a week. But, um, you know, public consciousness, if you say to someone, yeah, so don't you remember the Independence Day theme? They'll be like, no, what? Well, so. you know what? You're not actually as bad for watching a movie constantly as uh, one of uh, one of my friends and one of uh, Dave's friends from university who uh, lived somewhere out on another campus, which is quite remote, had a golf course. Um and he, uh, that is Tory as fuck. That is Tory, isn't it? Uh, all your fucking <clears throat> stories about hanging out with your twatty mate. Yeah, listen. It, yeah. I mean, you'll like the ending of this one if you hate my twatty friends. <laughs> so, anyway, because it was quite remote and there's no one ever there, mm. he used to give him the fear a little bit. So he would just leave a DVD running constantly, constantly. So when he opened the door, it wouldn't be like weird, you know, horror movie stuff. That movie was The Matrix Reloaded. Imagine the mind of a man which runs the Matrix Reloaded 24 hours a day. Anyway, it then turned out that someone actually beat him up in that very room a few uh, few months later. Not because of the Matrix Reloaded. But, I mean, that would have been a better excuse, wouldn't it? And it would have been a better excuse. And I must say as well, it, it, I'm not condoning it all. It wasn't a very pleasant attack. But I will say that a lot of blood went on one of my white shirts there and I was furious. Because it's so difficult to find it, a white shirt. I mean, where are you going to get I another one of them? I'm not going to lie. Do, I do love your, your use of the phrase, it wasn't a pleasant attack. <laughs> uh, it wasn't one of those simple lampoon style ones, you know, where someone has, you know, it was a, it was a real horrible thing. So, um, I don't know, maybe we should cut that I bit. Mean, the best, <laughs> I mean, the, the best way to end that story was, of course, that he got beat the shit kicked out of him because he was running that film constantly. Yeah. That was the yeah. that was the joke. But by you jumping in there, yeah. you've 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 explained it too much. Now listen, let's go on to some questions now before. But, is, but so, but you said that wasn't why you got beaten up. The, do you know about jokes? You were really explicit about. Do you know about jokes? That what that doesn't work as a Stop joke. Stop being a dick. No, you you you. You're ruining the cardioid patterns. No, but listen, you headed off the punchline at the pass by saying the punchline isn't going. Yeah, to that's happen. the joke. What's the what's the problem here? Stop but, explaining. You're not but fucking. How is the joke? You're not Stuart Lee. But how is that a joke? You're not fucking <laughs> looking out the window and asking what could he possibly want. How is that a fucking joke? Listen, though? you're a fucking but joke. You're, you're no, fucking... Listen, shut up. Speaking about jokes, we've got a bunch of questions here. So, right, no, the questions are good. The questions this week are better than any of the other ones. Yeah. Okay. So this is how you do Except it. Except I'm not going to answer any of them. I'm just going to I'm just going to argue with the premise of every question. <laughs> right. Anyway, listen. Rob Bickmore asks, which pre-existing song do you now find impossible to dissociate from a film? For example, In Dreams from Blue Velvet. That's just a fucking cracker. Yeah. 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 Well done, Rob. Good old, Bickmore. good old Rob Bickmore. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, obviously, I'll, I'll no no longer hold you responsible for your son. Yeah, um, yeah, right. That, that sounds mean. Uh, so <laughs> I think one of the easiest ones to answer for this is is uh, the doors, uh, the end from yeah. Pockets Now, which every time Still that comes gives on, gives me the fear. Yeah, absolutely. That's mm -hmm. a, a song so entwined with the that opening of the movie as well. It's like, yeah, we'll just bomb an entire tree line. Really, Francis? Yeah. I mean, what could be living in there? Mm -hmm. We made sure there's nothing in there. Renting helicopters from a country that is fighting a war <laughs> and having them turn around mid-shot. Oh, I've got to go have a little bit of a ruckus. We'll be back Sorry. in a bit. Sorry, lads. I'm doing a war. I'll be back whenever. If I do come back. Uh, but yeah, that you know, those very hazy, dreamlike lyrics totally and perfectly fit Willard 
on a big hangover. Mm. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, of course, the opening. So it has uh, one toke over the line, which is now impossible <laughs> to listen to. Not that anyone's listening to it outside of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And Club to Death by of Rob course. D in the original Matrix. No, your old Matrix, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that, that, that was like, that was a bit of a, a kind of a clubland kind of hit. Mm-hmm. Well before the Matrix, wasn't it? But it was like, but it was it was well known in that world. But mm. if you weren't going to clubs, you would never have heard it. Well, I think some of his uh, club stuff as well. There was there is a club mix, I think. But if you think that uh, Rob yeah. D's like subsequent albums or whatever, they do like not all of them are just built to be played in fucking in Matrix style clubs. But yeah, yeah. I can't disassociate that. Uh, mm. You know, there's and also from from the moment in the movie, you know, when they're walking down the street. And everything mm-hmm. you walk down a particularly busy street, especially if you're in America, a little part of your brain be like, "Shit, why club to death playing again?" Like, sure. thanks memory, you've done it again. It's, it's a bit. It's like because I don't. I've, I've never heard anything else by that artist. But I mean, imagine you probably that, have because most of it's in the Matrix Reloaded. You know, well, mm-hmm. I mean, but I'd imagine it's really difficult to sort of you know once once he had a massive hit like that and it became so associated with those visuals with that world yeah it would be difficult to get out of that headspace the pro i was listening to the prodigy the other day right some of the stuff they did after fat of the land and it's like this is like they are doing stuff so it can get into a racing game <laughs> like that's what it sounds like it sounds like they've never quite left 1997 you know like i finally got to see them last year and they are awesome live yeah i think right, yeah, that's cool some of the new stuff's a bit fucking bobbins on it, but yeah. well, like everyone, yeah, well, yeah, like fuck, like Lou Reed. Well, his new wow, <laughs> well, obviously that's where that, was, that was a throwback to the train spotting oh, conversation about Lou Reed. No, was, you uh, fucked it, Dave. Although, uh, I think we should be clear as well. It doesn't have to have been a song which kind of which definitely preceded it. Maybe a bit of music that. Uh, hang on, he said the, the question, fucking yeah. question, Listen, motherfucker. I set the terms of the question, okay? Right, the question now. What does everyone think about Sam Allardyce? No? Right, anyway, carry on. Um, Well, well, for me, this is actually a a really famous song that Singing in the Rain, which you obviously think was written for the film Singing in the Rain, but wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was uh, was written back in 1929. So obviously that's, you you think of um, the, the Gene Kelly film, but also actually the Clockwork Orange as well when the droogs are kicking shit out of someone singing singing in the rain. Mm. Um, Harold and Maud, the entire soundtrack, which is Cat Stevens. That's one of my favourite um, comedies. If you haven't seen that, go check that out. How Ashby directed. <laughs> I love um, that you put it in. There's a very broad box there, a comedy. Like, if anyone knows anything about yeah. Harold and Maud... I mean, it's I, a pitch black comedy, but yeah, it's definitely a I mean, comedy. It is jet black. Yeah. You know, it's, but, it's a, a 20-year-old who's essentially obsessed with suicide and an 80-year-old who's obsessed with life and it's it's brilliant a, a type of film that again you you just i don't think you would get that these days i don't think any studio would uh would back that no iron man would be in it wouldn't he? <laughs> iron, man. iron man versus harold, harold and Maud. yeah harold and Maud civil war it'd have to be some, it'd have to be some kind of shared universe thing otherwise yeah. it just wouldn't go for it yeah um other stuff modern's gotta be of course um Quentin Tarantino, mm. Reservoir yeah. Dogs, oh, yeah, uh, Steeler's yeah. Wheel. Little Green Bag and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah fuck me. Uh, Pulp Fiction as well. Yeah. Um, who is that? That is Chuck Berry, isn't it? Mm. You never yeah. can tell. Yeah, I also saw the uh, Summer of Preacher Man. That was, wasn't that Pulp Fiction as well? 
I don't associate that Was with that. that that's, not, that's not in my brain. That's not in no. the, the association bank. Mm. So you struck out there. I'm sorry. Uh, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody, Wayne's World. I mean, oh, and not a film yeah. you I mean, have to associate well, that. The I song mean, is obviously so genius that it I think no, stands on its own. I think now it started to... Well, it probably actually started a while ago but I think it's I think the association's gone now but certainly oh, I still slam my head full was, power when it comes on I mean there was a good sort of 10 years where whenever that would come on in a club everyone would start head banging it got to the point where it was like going all lads like it's, <laughs> stop doing this now stop doing it. um the, the, I mean the, the major one that comes up for me is uh Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears, um, playing over uh, a bit of a tracking shot in Donnie Darko. They're all tracking shots in Donnie Darko. There's quite a few songs, though. You can can even track the director's career going right out the window in the end credits, right? Wasn't it? I'm sure, because every time I hear Head Head Over Heels, I just remember this one kind of sequence from Donnie Darko where I think it's going through a school and Drew Barrymore's there. Mm -hmm. And and those are the images. That's the images. (laughs) That's the only... So it's fucking school, Drew Barrymore, and... Um, those images have uh, permanently burned into my brain next to that song in my head. Couldn't tell you a fucking thing about the film. Ah, oh, the film's about, superb, you know. which actually leads us on onto our next question, Steve Burns, which is... Fuck me, he's got... Fuck off. Right, Evil Tintin asks, what's your favourite directorial debut? Oh, let me jump in there, Steve Burns, oh, as one good. of them is, uh, oh, is Donnie Darko. Oh, so right. Oh, so, uh, yeah, you see what I, I did there? I got it, yeah. So, Maybe you told me got away with that. All this fucking started, you twat. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the best uh, debut is, of course, what well, actually, we probably need to be a, do, that needs to be a clearer question. Do you mean feature debut? Because, it's, it's, yeah, if it's you're fe- feature Spielberg, film debut. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like Jewel, for example, is that made for uh, television? It's a TV movie, yeah. yeah. But I still say that's a, a, a directorial debut. Yeah, for sure. I'd say so. Jewel's actually pretty fucking good. Mm. It's like it's like Jaws, but Jaws is a truck. <laughs> that's there exactly you go. what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's like a film that hasn't yet been shot. <laughs> Retroactively, it's, it's like truck. yeah, it's it's Jaws, but Bruce the shark. When, when Jaws came out, anyone was going, it's like Jewel. With a fish. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they say this is what he made last, mm-hmm. but it's that. But they're in a boat instead of being in a car. Yeah. And instead of it being a truck chase. It's, it's how people used to talk to each other before, like, you know, cultural exchange came down to, like, exchanging memes. Yeah, exactly. Used, the the elevator get... pitch is the original meme. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is true. There you go. You know how it's, like, fucking... It's like that hang... Except like that other hanging on. Yeah. And everyone was like, aye, it's yeah. right, aye. It's, it's die hard on a boat. Yeah. It's yeah, die yeah. hard on a train. Again. That was the secret. But you have to travel <laughs> traveling backwards in time. <laughs> Not anything that's pre existed. That's, that's, that's that exist that in the future. It's on the back of the laser disc for <laughs> Under Siege. It's like, I can't, don't know who said it. It's probably like the Chicago fucking Sun Times or something. Probably fucking Paul Ross, isn't it? That's Ebert, though, isn't it? Was yeah. It? Oh, Care- yeah. Careful now. Hang on. I don't think things. it was Ebert, but it just it just says Die Hard on a ship. And it's like, it doesn't tell me whether it's any good, though. Yeah, but it's implied because it, Die Hard is well yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, Die Hard's good, but like, you know, like Under Siege 2, for example, is yeah. essentially Die Hard on a train. Yeah. But it's fucking terrible. Yeah, well, listen, so, listen I mean, shush. Shush. Right, so obviously the best debut is Alien 3. 
Oh, wow, straight to it. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, this will commence 40 to 50 minutes of me ranting <laughs> yeah. on about... Go, go and make yourself a cup of tea, exactly. go do something. Yeah, if you've got any tax returns or anything, these fine. No, I, I don't actually think that is my favourite debut of a director, but I do think that it has its worth. Mm. And actually, if you're talking about worth in terms of culture, Jim, the story that it spawned is far more interesting than the film which was made of it. And I think that the, the documentary on the making of it on the quadrilogy, fuck's sake, Not uh, is, is amazing, especially when, um, is it Vincent Ward who wanted to do the, the one with the, the wooden monastery planet? Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd, uh, he was saying that Fox had sent him an assistant and he said, oh, she was amazing. She would, Anything I wanted, she would do it down to the letter. And then he said he got a phone call from someone. And they were like, you know, she's spying on you. Like, she's everything you ask or everything you do, she's reporting back to the studio. And he was like, I'm out. Fuck this. Like, obviously, this isn't a movie. This is one giant power play between one corporation and another. One of the guys, uh, was it Gyla, said... We didn't set out to make a movie. We set out to make a release date. <laughs> wow. They're like, well, that that's pretty much it, right? But yeah. Especially every- off the back of two stellar films. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone uh, knows that I, I like Alien 3. So we won't bang on about that. Uh, but uh, what? give me some other some other debuts that you guys have liked and I'll, I'll see what... Was Serenity a Josh Whedon de- director debut? Question. Because he'd obviously directed some... Stuff before, yeah. He was the showrunner of Buffy. Yeah, it might be his his feature. And I think it was his first feature, wasn't it? Directorial. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, and I think it's I think it's a very very decent film. Well, it's a safe pair of hands, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great. um, uh, I mean, obviously, you have to really kind of watch the the, this. I mean, I I never saw it without seeing the series first, so I I don't know what it's like if you haven't seen the series first. But I mean, I thought it was really. I don't know how many people were going watching that without having come from seeing the series first. I I did know a couple of people who who went to see it um, who who hadn't seen Firefly, which. I mean, it should stand on its own. That's what really annoys me about all the superhero films at the minute. It's like, oh, you get that if you read this version that's only available in Japanese. And it's like, (laughs) well, I've paid money. Make fucking sense in two hours that I've given you money for. Yeah, yeah. That that was that's the thing with Civil Civil War though, isn't it? That's the, uh, I think the trailers for Civil War. I remember Burns saying a lot like, "This trailer makes no fucking sense to me because I haven't seen the five billion yeah. films they've already." And I'm fed up of you showing me the middle act of a film and then going, "Oh, if you you know go rent the other three and then invest in this." It's like it, it, it's fine to have Easter you know Easter eggs and all. It's fine to have mm-hmm. little nudges and winks for people who have read the comics or played the video games or any of that. But to make a story incomprehensible, unless you know all that, is mm. just shite storytelling. So give me my money back, you fraudulent shit. Is <laughs> my <laughs> middle of the ground uh, take on that. But going going to directorial debuts, mine goes far further back. Nineteen forty one, John Huston, Maltese mm. Falcon. Certainly not considered his uh, his greatest work, but is is a real just great film. Um, and then of course, nineteen fifty nine. Breathless, Jean-Luc Godard, and the year later, Francois Truffaut, 400 Blows, kicking off the French New Wave. Uh, I mean, obviously, so two of the most influential films. Um, that translates, with Hollywood being so incredibly quick to jump on things, 10 years later, when Dennis Hopper makes Easy Rider and, and kicks open the doors for um, for the whole well, 70s and New Hollywood, which, of course, Peter Biskin covers 
brilliantly. Yeah. Yeah. And all, like, a lot of those guys, so nice you said that, Dave. So a lot of the guys who you associate with New Hollywood, Hopper aside, like they made movies for you know Roger Corman or something. So I think one of Francis Coppola's early movies, like Dementia 13, you've got Targets, by Bogdanovich and all of that. And it all of the people that you really love, or I really love, their debut is not the thing. Like, because in, in that era of the, you know, that 70s filmmaking, it might have been interesting, but it wasn't, it, it would be different because it was the, it was so completely different then they wouldn't just, you know, they'd be like, okay, you have to cut your teeth here and there. There are a few other people who just went straight into it, but maybe like a bit later on into the 80s. But yeah, like Coppola obviously wasn't making The Godfather straight off the bat, but he, you know, it wasn't too far away from his beginning. But do you remember, Dave, uh, in one of our film classes, we saw it. Uh, it's a short movie by Christopher Nolan with the bug. Yes, yeah. Where so this is really cool if you've not seen it. So there's a guy in. A it should house. be available on YouTube, I think. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, I think it was part of something called Cinema 16 when we watched it on DVD. But it's about a guy and there's a bug in his uh, apartment and he's trying to squash it with the heel of his of his shoe and he's constantly getting you know it's getting away from him. Then there is a uh, a twist ending, as it were. It's really cool. It's a short film, so you can check it out. But I think a lot of his early stuff spoke to where he was going to be going. Yeah, absolutely. It's really it's interesting. It's actually more interesting. His early stuff is much more interesting of following Memento, Insomnia even. And now it's like, you know, I like Nolan's visuals. But I, like, I disagree. I find his whole thing interesting. No, nah, don't I, fucking I'm be his dick. Everything that he does. Don't he <laughs> made three of the most boring Batman movies. Yeah, the third Batman one's flawed boring. for sure. But... Oh, and then he folded up. Uh, what? The Dark Knight from... and Batman Begins are boring. Nah, I get out. I take Batman Begins over the Dark Knight. I think the Dark Knight. <sighs> I think Begins is the best of the three of them. And and I mean, I like Heath Ledger. I like I like Dark Knight. And then the third one kind of fucks the whole thing. But I think. It's no. Oh, this makes me sound like such a twat, but the, the Dark Knight is ruined by the people who like it. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's utterly because it's like it's like fucking. I mean, Game of Thrones is getting there at some point. Actually, no. Game of Thrones was saved by the fact that by sort of season five, everyone started hating it a bit, and it's like, ah, oh, this is all right. This is cool now. <laughs> I can get behind this now. It's not like it's not constant phony. Is that you just no, being trendy? The, you don't like stuff that's no, popular, no, no, no. <laughs> No, it's just that there's there's a certain kind of attitude with with, with certain groups of fans that you're just like oh, I, I can't I can't fucking I can't assimilate I can't be one of you I can't like this thing because it makes me one of you and I can't do it I can't <laughs> fuck, listen, you know you fans can't. of that fucking Batman trilogy like the big fucking like the the huge like this is the best Batman's ever this is the only thing Batman should ever be. Is is this this kind of prevailing attitude? Oh, okay, that so that's was, what you hate about that it. It, that it was the only kind of Batman that that ever made sense because it was, and and it's always the same fucking words because it was gritty and it was dark and it's like it was visceral and but, but, right. I'm not you can take it away. There's no fucking emotion. The fundamental problem with Nolan's take on Batman, to me anyway, was, um, I mean the fact the fact I mean it was relentlessly fucking bleak. And I, did, I found very little fun in it, but also it there was this um, there was this nod to being like the realistic take on Batman. This is how Batman would work in the real world. Or first start no, actually, actually, actually wouldn't because Batman isn't dead. 
Um, mm. You know, and also people would find out who the fuck Batman was within seconds. We've yeah. got the internet now. Yeah. There's no such thing as secrecy anymore. Yeah. All of that fucking. They would... And he just turns back up from the dead in Batman Begins. You and they're that? like, oh, it's okay. You can have the company back now. Yeah. What? Seriously yeah, you've got to suspend disbelief. No, but for not when the it. director is talking about how this is going to. This is Batman. This is the, the real. Yeah, but shot. Shot. films are life with the boring bit cut out. Shut up! Because, shut up! Because it was such a such a thing about realism. It means that you can't use ninety nine percent of the rogues gallery because, like, like how the fuck is Solomon Grundy going to work in that version of Batman? Well, it's not, is it? Like, how's the penguin going to work in that version? Of yeah, that? of course not, but I mean, yeah. they're, they're not in it. I mean, I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm, sure I'm exactly, be to be honest, I'm surprised they had Bane in that version of Batman, because he's just like... No, nah, he's just a big lad now, isn't he? Yeah, he's just... He's just, he's just had great fucking traps. He's just a traps. big lad with a stupid mask. Like, exactly. Well, listen, we get, let's not get distracted talking about the old If shit. I was Nolan, so I think he completely fucked that version of Bane. I think because he took too much of the original character and it was the mask that was meant to make him like feel less pain or whatever... Fuck that. That version of Bane should have just been somebody who was really afraid of germs. That's the only reason he had a mask on. Like, Your version of Batman sounds fucking shite. Batman's like... Batman eventually figures out and he's like, he's the mask. And he's like, no, don't give me the mask. He's, uh, right, no, no. Listen, back to reality now. No. Judy Marson asks, why are horror films no longer scary? Are we too savvy, jaded, or has everything been seen and done before? I think you're too fucking cynical. I think loads of things are scary and people just don't admit it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't find most of them scary, but I certainly don't think... I certainly don't agree with the idea that everything's been seen and done before. I think that we've said that a million times over. Um, like fucking Benedictine monks were saying that. Yeah. Right? So, um, I, I think that maybe things have just become a bit sterile maybe m- most of the stuff is just a saturation of the same type of film and an over reliance on jump scares as opposed to actually mm. building a sense of dread and horror yeah as one of the so when you when people think about oh is there anything new under the sun in, in certain things and they talk about horror movies the things that they remember those movies that you know, say the Blair Witch Project, for example, where that kick-started a new vogue for horror, right? Yeah. But, you know, that existed before in movies like The Last Broadcast and that kind of found footage and everything like that. That existed before. It just takes someone to take well, I think the you always have that. You take it and you reinvent it for the time that you're, that you're yeah. in. I guess that then you've got your kind of home video stuff really kicking off, and so they've taken yeah. that handheld yeah. style. And, and, and VR will be the next big one. If you've played any game, any horror game in VR... That's the new level. Like that's proper fucking shit. Your pants. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> because you are you're in it then to not use too much marketing. Well, speak. I was gonna say. I mean, I think um, I think video games are um, not not to say that one medium's like better than another, but I think uh, video games are. Um, they are they were the natural kind of next frontier for horror. I mean, you're heading towards the holodeck, aren't yeah, we, Jim? Well, absolutely, and. Um, and VR is just like an extension of that. But like, you know, the fact that, um, I mean, I, I generally find scary games a lot scarier than scary movies, but just because you've got that investment and you've got that. Uh, Until Dawn, I thought was brilliant. So Until I just Dawn. basically played it the whole way through in one yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. yeah Until just, Dawn. Just uh, in winter, adds... uh, from like nine yeah. o'clock at night through, it was like, oh, the sun's rising. Yeah. And yeah. when when you realise with that game, when you realise that you're actually, you're you're somebody who's meant to be kind of, 
the way to get through that game is to recognise the tropes and, and be the director and embrace star. them. Yeah. Uh, Until Dawn is so fucking good. If you've not played it, get a fucking grip. Anyway, listen. With the so one of the there's a really good Anthony Lane uh, review of Halloween um, H20, but he spends most of it talking about the original uh, Halloween. So Anthony Lane is the film critic for the New Yorker. Did you just see here Halloween H20? Yeah. That's not what it's called, though, is it? It's 20 years after the original Halloween. Is it, is it not, is it, Did you think it meant Halloween Water? Yeah. Is that what you thought the title was? Is it not Halloween H2? I mean, there's is enough it? of them that probably is a Halloween Water out there somewhere. <laughs> uh, actually, well, before we go on that, one of my favourite things about Halloween Resurrection, which follows it, so if you've not seen H20, uh, he gets decapitated. You think that's going to be the end of it? Oh, and spoiler! Then it turns out, it turns out he puts someone else in the suit. At the opening of Resurrection, I think it's cool. So that was the first one that I saw in the cinema. Well, the first one I was old enough. Are to you see. absolutely sure it's not Halloween H? It may, it may. But I think okay, it may actually be H two O in terms of that sounds. It is twenty. It, the tagline is twenty years later. It's H twenty, yeah. right? But if you say H two O, people think you mean water. Yeah. Okay. So I, I I totally just I mean it never occurred to me before. I mean I, I was working in a cinema when that came out, and I just remember thinking like, oh, right, oh is this when you're dishing out your blowjobs again? Fuck me. <laughs> but um, like, fuck me, my water's not that fucking scary, is it? That sounds shite. Oh. But Buster Rhymes is in Resurrection, and oh, yeah. a, and the great moment in the trailer, which is even better in the end, when he fights <laughs> when he fights Michael Myers. And he shouts, trick or treat, motherfucker, and kicks him out of a window. You're like, this is the greatest wow. movie I've ever seen. But anyway, Anthony Lane's review. <laughs> he talks back, back to that. He talks a lot about the original Halloween and how, when it first came out, he was a film student uh, in like 78 or whatever. And he said, it was not seen as cool to go and see a horror movie. And he was a you know militant film student who was you know, big into Godard or whatever. He would go and spend three hours watching a movie where people just talk about fucking carpets and bourgeois and all that <laughs> shit. It's like, yeah, I've done some good work today. I've really, really got that on. And he said he finally watched it and he was really compelled by how strong the movie was. Because everyone thought, oh, it's a man in a mask going around killing people and a lot of the Friday the 13th and later Halloween versions and many slashers that you could name are like that but the original movie is so fucking good he's not called Michael Myers in it he's not billed as Michael Myers in the in the adult version he's called The Shape and as Lane says it just subverts some of the things those jump scares you're talking about yeah I mean just, the over-reliance on that now is that you he's continually... standing full view and he's got the sheet over him and the woman's on the phone just standing there and he and Lane's great thing where he talks about the realization from her point of view is the realization of the audience. Even though you know it's him, the fact that she's playing it off, you know, like oh, and then as she starts realizing, you're like oh, like you really feel like you're in her shoes. And it's even that though you know, so methodical. Oh. And when his kind face comes walk. in next to uh, Laurie when she's like backed up against the wall, thinking she's got him, amazing movie. And I think that that was so that ushered in the real slasher. I mean, there were exploitation flicks before that. Mm-hmm. Then you know there was stuff with loads of uh, gore, grindhouse stuff, or whatever. But this, this had something to it. Halloween, which was, it was really sophisticated in how it told the story. And I think Blair Witch is another touchstone for that because it used, you know, the synth, for example, in Halloween is like it shouldn't work, and it should be just something that's God, very. It is sensitive. every like forty seconds as well. <laughs> when you really well that, it back. But it's just one of them. Is just one note. <laughs> Dung. Doing like, and a lot, and what a lot of people seem to forget about Halloween. There's a, a good chunk of it takes place in the day, a real good chunk, and he's just like standing behind hedgerows and shit. The point I'm making is very garbledly, uh, garbledly, bigly, 
Turn into Trump there. Uh, I've got the best film reviews, the, the best, is that you, what you need is you need someone to come along and shoot a movie in a way that you have that takes everything that you already know and everything you're scared of and shoot it in a way that makes you think fresh. Uh, like yeah, well, you, I mean, on, on that Halloween um, kind of relentless slow pursuit, has anyone seen the recent-ish film It Follows? Um, it's basically a, a horror film about an STD. Yeah. But it's, again, that kind of, this thing is trying to get you and it will never, ever stop and it just slowly following. None of this, like, screaming and explosions and shit. Just a nice, calm walk of impeding doom. Mm. <laughs> and that's a really good horror film that's, that's, that's been recent. Again, proves that everything hasn't been done. It's not necessarily doing anything new. It's just doing it in a in a, in a bit of a different way. But I think there's, there's loads of twists on, uh, on on horror films as well that are really original and interesting. Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which I think is on Netflix at the minute, um, tells it from the kind of redneck hick point of view. That's really funny. Cabin in the Woods was possibly my favourite film of that year when it absolutely twisted the whole thing. So I think people are still doing fresh things with it. It's just... Hostel oh, 2. The first one was uh, the first one was load of shit, but it had a good idea. Hostel 2, if you've not seen it, has the... Uh, is, from, is dual perspective. So it's not like the fucking Godfather's, like same timeline. It has the backpackers and it also has the people who pay to do the torturing. And it it actually humanizes the torturers quite a lot, in fact. More And that's always interesting. More than more than you'd think. Uh and yeah, so I think it's gonna be one of those where someone is going to do something I think it follows is a really good example. And I also think it is how in horror a lot of it is down to the movement of the thing. So in the Terminator, which is a horror movie, is absolutely a horror movie with action elements, is that when Arnold starts running, it shouldn't be able, with its mass, even though I know Arnold Schwarzenegger is a real person, but you just think at that mass, Arnold Schwarzenegger should not be able to move at the speed. That mm-hmm. it, it's anything that's kind of unnatural. That unnatural world, movement. Yeah. Same with T-1000, but to a lesser degree, like you expect it because it's sleek by James Cameron's design to be able to run like that. But when he starts running and getting up speed, and that fucking stoic, emotionless face, like it never changes. Uh, so, yeah, I think VR is the new frontier on that for being really scared. But that's not to say that film won't have someone come along. And a lot of it is technological technological change. If you're talking about yeah, steady absolutely. Cams, Doing things that video, open the up ring, worlds. VCR, that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, look. But a lot of this comes down to what the difference between suspense and surprise. And horror are. and terror, which are different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the so the, the very famous Hitchcock thing is, so if we're having this conversation now and under the table, there's a bomb and it goes off, bang, that's a surprise. Sure, you've got the initial kind of joy, Steve Burns is gone, but oh, we've lost Jim. Fuck me. And, uh, and Dave fun, with him fun, but then his other side is of course is suspense so you tell the audience that there's a bomb under the table and it goes off in 15 minutes and in there we see a clock and we see us sitting around chatting absolute bollocks thinking like stop talking about this crap because in 15 mm. minutes a bomb's going to go off and kill you all yeah. and it's that suspense so then instead of getting 15 seconds of that kind of wow I didn't see that coming mm. come out of nowhere you get the 50 minutes of shit is someone going to realize that there's mm. something under there and that just that slowness and that gently pulling on the string and, and, and pulling you in which of course you see in the first alien film and i'm sure finch tries in, in your favorite film yeah oh we should probably uh, know as well we'll talk about this a bit more at the end so people have been uh, crying out they've literally been crying out outside the house i think it means them. figuratively no no i sometimes i open the curtains and there they are in the garden i'm like oh, have them disposed of uh 
for the uh, director's commentary or not the director's, not the director's commentary, commentary. <laughs> from the three of us. So we decided that uh, we might actually do that because, you know, why not? And the first one will be mm. Alien. So yes. we're going yeah. to talk a lot of shit about Alien, so you can put it on whatever. And press so play and we're going to be time. playing the um, theatrical version that comes with the quadrilogy. Again, not a word, um, which is the most widely available one. So we'll be we'll just press play at the same time and go through that with you. Yeah, cool. So what would uh, just out of interest, and I know this is another shitty tangent from me, but what is the actual word though? Is it tautology? Or? Well, it's, it's because it's tautology. Part, no, it's part Latin and um, you know part what? Greek, I looked, isn't it? That's I looked why into it's, this, and no, it's not tautology, is it? No, entirely. No. Fuck me. It, sorry. I looked into it, and some people actually claim that it's a word. Uh, so you know, I'm sure. I'm sure that there'll be some comments underneath this, but I, even if it is legitimate, I fucking hate it. But it was invented quintilogy, by quintilogy, right? no quadrilogy. So I've, I, I looked Look. into this because I was doing a piece on uh, on Alien Isolation uh, way back when. Great and game. I was, yeah, and I was looking into um, it was something from the extras from the quadrilogy, and I was like, I need to know because like, they're not fucking writing that if they've just invented it. Mm-hmm. Not fucking Shakespeare. And, uh, yeah, it turns out that some people were arguing, and in the end, I just fucked it off. So, look, tell us in the comments, because I'm not looking on the um, internet. And I think, I think well, it, it's as real a word as, as prequel, right? Which is... Which or interquel. Well, that's the same thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that is just... I mean, that prequel is, is a word that was just invented by Hollywood, isn't it? It's not really... Um, I'm not sure it is, um, but like, Jim. But the Don't thing think is, though, fucking but, but George my, Lucas invented everything. to my ears... Like if they had five films and call it, called it a quintilogy, that's less. That sounds fine to me, but quadrilogy just it just sounds like you're taking two completely different well, words quadology, together. Elegy. Yeah. Look, let's not fucking get into this because oh, oh, awful. Right. So next question, Fox Lynn. Right. If you could delete a game series forever, which one and why? So we've had a big fucking argument about this. A big fucking argument. And one of the... That does take up most of our time. Yeah, I know. And one of the things... That's one of the, we get the good work done. That's true. One of the series which everyone seemed to run to uh, was, and apart from me, who was right, was uh, Duke Nukem. So the later Duke Nukem games are a fucking crap. Uh, okay. Right? They are crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The original... Uh, sorry, Junicum 3D. Yeah? We'll talk about the original Duke Nukem side scrolls. In fact, we won't. Fuck them. Duke Nukem 3D is amazing. It still is amazing to this day. And at the time... I don't know was... why you lumped me in on this side of the argument. I agree with you. Oh, come on over, Dave. Oh, look at that. There's your twist. Take that. <laughs> uh, so, one of the things... I've got no problem with the game. I like the game. Um... Like the, the the original game's fantastic. You mean three D? Uh, yeah. No. Well, not the fucking the apogee fucking two D <laughs> platformers. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't the original Duke Nukem games. Those those are just people. Those, those like those didn't exist. Those those are just. All oh, right. Like, so now you deciding. Those are just the fever dreams of some people who who are old enough to remember what shareware is. Oh, fucking, rise of the trial of shareware. We're, we're baby. fucking leaving it that. Fucking a. No, but um, no, the, but the original Duke Nukem three D is 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 a great game. Was a great game at the t- at the at the time. Do you remember trying to play it again when they released it on Xbox 360? And being like, I never no, tried I like to play it again. I like, well, yeah. the pad wasn't great. So I think maybe nostalgia does tinge it for me. No, so. no, I, I played it recently, and one of the things about Duke 3D is that, in terms of its of its world building, it still does things today that even its sequels 
just didn't get right. So yeah, it's what really pissing? stupid. Yeah, you can fucking shoot a toilet and drink the water out of it and get health. Yeah, you can hit a pinball machine and it go, don't have time to play myself or whatever. But those things were amazing at the time because the world was interactive. Like in Doom or whatever, you'd spend ages going on a wall and then maybe it would open. That's not a euphemism. Uh, and, uh, but here, like he would talk to you. I mean, he would talk a load of old shit, but he would talk to you you know and also i was amazed and this this shows that i am old but you could open cupboards and you could you could crouch get in them and close them so in 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 games that before that claimed to be 3d pretty much in name Mm. only which were essentially 2d games on a on a 3d plane to be able to have rooms that were you know that quake also did it in the same year but the fact the for me this is that this people think they love duke because you could open the the fucking curtains or whatever on a cinema screen and there'd be a woman in her underwear. What was actually interesting was that you could shoot through the cinema screen, that the world was built hmm. in that, in, um, was it LA Meltdown, as it, as it would be in your own world. So it, it came to the point where, I'm not saying this is exactly right, but if, if you thought it should function as it did in reality, it probably would. So if there was an event, you could jump on something and jump into it. You know, if the, if you had a jetpack and you saw something, you'd go to it. And in yeah. and it was yeah the build engine, so it wasn't that great. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Jim. When we talked about this, is that people seem to love it because you could say "shake it, baby" to a fucking that this seems, you know, that this whole is thing. What I'm talking about that that's that's the angle about it. Is this the same as your Batman angle then? No, the no, 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 with no, no, no. Of, well, uh, yeah, sort of. Um, no, no. You see, the, the <coughs> thing, yeah, it, it was it was a great game, and it was all of its time. And no, but but I think. At this point, people don't. I mean, this this makes us sound like utter cunts. I don't think people knew why they liked that game, um, because you just have to look at the sequels, and you have to look at the people who defend the like the last Duke Nukem game, because there's it is there's a lot of people who swear blind, like you know, if you go outside of the bubble and go outside of the press and all that, there's a lot of people who played that game and fucking liked it. Mm. And it was like Duke Nukem's back, and it's like. You know, they they talk about how you can draw dicks on the fucking flip chart at the start and whatever, which which funnily enough is something that the player does of their own volition. There's nothing to do with the game. <laughs> uh, you know, you can piss in the toilet. He's got all the quips, but like, there's no. Um, we we've now arrived in a world where um, you know, we've had like since the first Duke Nukem 3D and and the, and the last one. Between those, we had like you know three Elder Scrolls games. Or, or two or whatever but you know what I mean it's always about the fucking like, out no, 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 no. I mean like no but the, the idea of having a world that is built on interactivity and a world that feels like a, a tangible place where people live and work yeah a modern game, day, game is this, yeah, certainly I mean, like that now but the 3D Duke 3D wasn't was it yeah no, but like, I mean, is that I, what your argument is I, what, what I, I mean yeah I mean I think at the time when Duke Nukem 3D came out, what I, th- I mean, I think it's a bit a, quite a tragedy of Duke Nukem 3D. The, what it's remembered for is pissing into a urinal, yeah. Instead of the fact that like there was an entire city block of Los Angeles, yeah, it was full of enemies, and it was like, but you know, you could, you could, you felt like you were exploring a real place. Mm-hmm. That you had... could go in the bookstore, right? Yeah, exactly, because everything else had been abstracted. You were a space marine on the on the moons of Mars. You yeah. were in. You were a medieval warrior, but you had a nail gun. Yeah. You know, you were in Rise of the Triad. For fuck's sake, is that you? There's John Woo mode, so you have two Berettas, but in front of you, 
platforms just go up and down and there's no explanation for that. It's a mm-hmm. video game, right? Mm-hmm. You'd never ask for an explanation mm-hmm. in Mario as to why they go up and down. What well, gravitational forces compel and propel? You're like, it just happens, right? Dunicum 3D was the first game that I'd played that attempted to base that in reality. Then it used the humour, for want of a better word, the yeah, childishness yeah. laid over the top yeah. to give that some flavour, essentially, mm-hmm. no matter how in poor taste it ended up being. So that's why I love it. But the, the rest of them, the Junicum Forever, obviously that's well documented. That's a game where you could only you could only wield two weapons. What? And that's because someone went, Halo, you could only have two weapons. Whereas in Duke, you could side if you're playing on PC, you can just literally switch to your RPG, blow someone up, you do a quip, and it all worked together, you know? But everything else in Duke, all the all the set dressing, all the fucking babes, all the shit. You could get scuba gear in Duke. And I was like, this is the greatest game ever made. It's like, you've got to swim under, San Andreas Fault goes off, all the buildings are submerged, you've got to get down into the vault of a bank. And coming from a world where all, all, all I'd done was shoot cyber demons and whatever those fucking thing, or knights from Quake, I was like, this is incredible. And yeah, that is the problem. So I'll tell you what, get rid of all of Duke apart from 3D and get rid of the fucking ones that came before. No one gives a shit about that. Yeah, exactly. Right, uh, so... Do you remember when he was fighting Captain Proton? Was it was it Captain Proton? Did you make that? His enemy in those original games was Captain oh, Proton, yeah, it was something it? like that, wasn't it? It's like a cyborg fucking... And it was like he was in a city, uh, a domed city, and you were like you were like going after him. Uh, Load of old shite. Yeah, one fucking own. terrible. Load of old shite. Okay, so uh, Dr. Mark Sloan. You a doctor? If you are, give me a call. Uh, Favourite shot in a film? One of mine is Nicholson looking over the maze in The Shining. Good so, choice. Go on, Dave. You've not done a lot of talking. Do the talking. Uh, I love the um, motorbike sequence in... In talk. The greatest in fun. talk, yes. That is exactly where I was going. In Children of Men. I think that is a fantastically directed the escape sequence. film yeah when when the when a car comes in front of them then they have to reverse and get and get the fuck yeah. out of there um i just love the way it's it's very rare that i watch and this isn't necessarily the way you have to shoot films like when i watch a film and think how the fuck have they done that because mm. most of the time you, you you figure it out and then you look on the extras this whole mechanism that they built and I think that he's a director who uses that incredibly intelligently quite often. Sometimes Quentin Tarantino is guilty of this. The camera will do something really fucking cool, but it takes you out of the moment and you're like, Road oh, wow, look at is that. Is that the movie? But, uh, but in this, it does all this really cool stuff and suddenly you're two minutes and you're like, wait a minute, they haven't, how have they done that? They haven't even cut around that. And it's, mm. I, I just thought that whole film is, is brilliant for that. Um, other ones... So, uh, favorite shots, I suppose. One of my uh, one of my faves is a very haunting uh, one. It's the end of the Godfather Part Two. Yes, where on. Michael Corleone is uh, is sitting alone in autumn and uh, alone in his massive fucking cage, basically. And uh, so, the originally that was meant to have a bit more to it. So when you watch it, it appears that uh, so Michael Corleone, if you've not seen it is sitting in his compound and uh, it's all gone bad. He's killed his brother or had his brother killed. Um, he's it's all won. Gone bad. Yeah. <laughs> he's won, uh, but his kids, his kids are damaged. Uh, they, his wife has uh, had an abortion so that she won't have any more of his children and she's, uh, and she's out of his life. And yeah, everyone that he loved is dead. So his, his, his mum's now died. And so, yeah, he's won. 
like really is lost. Cost, and there's this yeah. it's him and in that there's that you know shark eyed Al Pacino at his absolute physical peak that kind of sitting there and he's just in these massive eyes just looking into nowhere. And then there's a slide track in and you see uh he's he's got his hand next to his face and you can see it's his left hand, you can see he's still got his wedding ring on. And uh, he just, you know, it's this kind of realization. Well, not even a realization. He clearly knew before. He's just reliving it. And in the original version of that ending, there was to be a bit more of that. And in some of the stills, you can see the wide because in as it's more like a, a medium to track close for the end. But it's meant to demark the passing of time. So his uh, he's got slight grey in his sideburns, and like he's aging. It's the start of the thing which propel into the Godfather Part Three. Really, that's what they were building on. They never planned that sequel at that point. But yeah, it's really haunting. And people are talking about horror movies. Who like the Godfather Part Two does function as a horror movie in that. Michael Corleone spends the entire... It's like a nightmare. You know when you continue running from stuff? But running doesn't get you anywhere. You're, even though you are, you feel that you are strong, you're not strong enough. And everything you do brings that back around. So everything he thinks he does to save the family ends up killing it. And uh, yeah, I know it's a bit strange to call The Godfather Part 2 a horror movie, but that ending no, it makes is... Sense in that. That, and that shot is really, really horrible for that reason. Because even though he is... Uh, he has crossed the moral event horizon by shooting, having his brother shot. Mm. You have been asked to identify with him for six hours now. And you see, of course, in the parallel structure of part two, you see his Vito Corleone's rise to bringing everyone together with the family. Mm-hmm. And even though Michael has done... And the juxtaposition of trying to do the same thing yeah, and doing the absolute and opposite. The pieces, yeah. Even though he feels like that in the scene where he's talking with his dying mother and he says, is it possible to lose your family? She says, you can never lose your family. And he says, I don't know, times are changing. And then, then the ending. So for me, that is one of the uh, one of the most powerful endings. That's I mean, more to do with the the pathos behind it, I guess. But it's, it's a really nice shot, shot and Al Pacino. It's easy just to valid. really overplay it. It'd be easy to give it the oh, and give it the little head shake and. The, but he actually, it's not. He moves his hand in a way, like he moves his fingers, uh, like individually, kind of up and down, as if he's as if you know people talk with their hands, as if he's going to do something, as if there'll be action there. But then there isn't. He just rests because mm-hmm. there's what can you do in that situation? So it's a scene that I love. Very simple. It's one camera setup, but it just sells the entire theme of the movie in what thirty seconds yeah. a minute. Jim, um, sorry, I was just I was lost in what you were saying. There. Some like, Star Trek shite. Uh, <laughs> well, I really liked it when the guy hit his head at the opening of Star Trek Five. You like a, you like a wanna, don't you? I, I do like a wonner, yeah. I like uh, anything with, where they do the one take, uh, you know, an extended one take. I mean, Goodfellas has got to be. Goodfellas. Um, there's one great, and it's not a film, but there's one great one in uh, the first season of True Detective. Yeah, that, that is incredible. Like, I mean, the amount of fucking planning. Yeah. And, and just, because you, especially, I mean, I think you, you, particularly appreciate them as um you know as as a filmmaker or anyone who's done any kind of um video production because you know the the amount of um the amount of planning that takes and the amount of like the amount of fixing you do in an edit like in terms of like you know getting the timing right mm. on a bit of dialogue or you yeah. know because you shoot every scene from like five six different angles and then you know you choose the best takes you choose the best angles you tighten up all the dialogue and you know you even like you you have people kind of slightly talking over each other in the edit just to make sure that it's mm-hmm. like like th- there's a lot of stuff um 
on uh, that happens on the set or, or when you're shooting. Um, that that, that you know, a lot of the time it's just it's very stop start and you don't actually get any of the punchiness until you get it into the edit. So it's it's really impressive and it's really really exciting when you when you see um, a sequence that has no cuts that it's just one big camera move. Whether they faked it or not, because they're getting really fucking good at faking it mm. these days as well. But it's fine. It's like, and, and also the important thing there is that that is relevant to the way that they're telling the story. And it, it almost yeah, like yeah. tricks you because it, it's very stationary for a bit whilst they're having, you know, just mm. a conversation in the kitchen and then suddenly shit kicks off and it's following them. You're like, oh my God, this is still that same shot. Mm. And it goes on, I think, for like five minutes or something. Yeah, so you've got helicopters and fence climbing oh, and yeah, yeah. raids. It's it, brilliant. It, it's, it's absolutely mad, and like you know, and some of them are so impressive when when you think about the, um, you know, uh, how many rehearsals they had to go through, and and you kind of think as well, especially when when there are, there, I mean, there are really like uh, you know, you know, some of these are like eight minutes long. Some of these big one takes are like you know, some of them sometimes it's the entire film. And like you know, especially these days, you you do have a few examples where the entire film is one take, mm. which is mad. But you think to yourself, but what if someone fucks it like an hour and twenty minutes in? Do oh, you, have to, do you have to go back and start again? Oh well, yeah, Russian yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Or do you kind of go? Listen, we'll put a wee, we'll put a wee dissolve in there, and nobody will notice. And not if that's the entire premise of your film. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a one there, take. You, there are ways of faking it, but I think when you when it comes to shots. One of the things that doesn't that I, that doesn't in our me to it is is mm. the is the stunt one like um, for example Mission Impossible Two has a really cool shot where um, De Grey Scott jumps on top of um, uh, Tom Cruise and the knife goes right, right by his, his eye. eye you know Fuck. Yeah, yeah and that was on like and a you pulley see system the, yeah, and stuff his, yeah, you see his, his eye go. but the things that I really like in terms of shots so. Some honourable mentions quickly. The opening of Star Wars, which is the perfect opening of any movie. You know, a ship oh, goes ship over, over the top. and then a fucking massive... Yeah. You know, that's, that tells you the story of what that's oh, yeah. about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the camera doesn't that, even have to move. That, this thing. Yeah. yeah, that entire... That, I mean, that... I mean, so parodied and, and seems so cliche now because, mm. it's been, because it's been done again and again since. But, but that... that Tells you everything you need to know about yeah, that film. That's the movie, yeah. right? That's the movie. The big guys uh, versus the little sorry, guys. I should say as well, we're talking about opening shots. I forgot to actually say what mine was, which because I started talking about one takes. It's the one take at the start of Serenity, which I love. I think it's the I think it's the very first shot in the film. But it goes from the bowels of the ship through the ship and reintroduces people to the crew and and then out to the cockpit and then and then and obviously this isn't one one long yeah. take it's obviously been stitched together from various elements but it looks like one take and then the camera leaves the cockpit and you get an external of the of the ship so so, so in one continuous shot you go from bells of the ship to an external with the planet mm. so I fucking love that mm -hmm. but yeah I think yeah, yeah no you've reminded me Jim there yeah you've reminded me so the ones I'm going to say uh, so the end of the 400 blows obviously mm. yeah. most famous shot pretty much for a while there um, in Weekend, um, which you may oh, the traffic see, jam the traffic jam, yeah. where it's all gone to shit and it's tracking along. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, the one that you remind me of there is the opening of Alien. So in the fucking novelization of Alien, uh, it's, oh, got, fucking cool. it's got a really great like, opening paraphrase. It's like um, seven dreamers, not professional dreamers, 
but dreams are all the same, something like that. And that sums up, in the book, that summed up that they were just normal people. They were just in extraordinary circumstances in hypersleep. But Ridley Scott's opening where you just, you want a movie that's about fucking dread. The opening credits of Alien, the scariest fucking thing, just you're in the middle of nowhere, and by nowhere I mean the universe. Mm -hmm. And then if you were to be, and then those credits fading in, the titles, and if you were to, and that music, you'd be like, okay, well, where would be safe? Not being in the middle of the universe, being on a ship. Then you're on a ship. And you're walking around this ship, steady cammed out the fucking ass, basically. And it's just showing you everything that's going on there. The, little, the nuts and bolts of the world that in a lot of sci-fi you didn't really get. Space truckers, basically. And then it finally gets them in this, like, chamber. So, you know, in a lot of ways it's echoing how you go around the, um, the, the, the space jockey's vessel later on. But from your perspective. And an absolutely amazing achievement. And one which... Yeah, you just wouldn't get that really. It'd be like, and it's brilliant. It's essentially a haunted house story. Yeah, in, uh, but on a but, spaceship. But with the that's best way of cooler. All time. And yeah, so we'll be talking about that. In, what uh, did you say, Adele? <laughs> I said Malcolm McDowell. Oh, all right, joking. all right. But uh, speaking of which, the opening of uh, A Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. that tracking shot, and like these gentlemen look like they're up to no good. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I should. I feel like I should point out that like. It probably sounds from this podcast like Serenity is one of my favourite fucking films of all time. <laughs> it's not. I just think there's good the good things about it. Two good boys. Yeah. Sorry, Joss. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Listen, right. That's that now. We gotta go because we gotta go and do more stuff. Uh, one of the things is one of the things is going to be uh, recording this, not the director's commentary. So, yeah, look out for that. And uh, thanks for all the cues. Yeah, shut it. Also. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do the director's commentary, but I mean, we shouldn't call it that because we're not the director's commentary. It's called not, it's called, the director's. not the director's oh, commentary. Right, yeah. Swear. All right, cool. Explain that concept to me again. I don't think I've got it. Yet. <laughs> um, also, um, I think we, we should. Uh, we, we wanted to do a little thing about Virginia, the, the walking simulator that's not a walking simulator, because I played through the whole thing. Yeah. Have you played the whole game yet? No. Burns? Right, okay. No. Okay, I sat down and played the whole lot, and I thought it was fantastic. And it's divided opinion a little bit, isn't it? It's divided opinion a lot, but among games journalists who, let's face it, are all fucking thick and scum. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it's, uh, it, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was one of these things that had a sort of a, a mad ending. Um, but, you know... 2001 had a mad ending. It's kind of... It's got an ending a bit like 2001, actually. Don't fucking spoil it, you twat! Honestly, no, but it's great. You should play it. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to play it now. You've ruined it. No, I know he's a ghost. Listen, no, he's not a ghost. Look, listen, play it, and then tell him... Then Then write about it. And then come back to me about the 2001 thing and see if you can see what I mean. Because it's absolutely nothing like that, but it totally is. Even if you're right, I'll refuse to... No, no, no. No, no, no. Um, but no, I think it's a game without dialogue, a game that uses hard cuts uh, to transition you between scenes, which is uh, obviously it, it really borrows the language of film to uh, to to kind of make walking simulators less of a fucking drag. I think this is going to be my weekend coming up. That yeah, sounds yeah. it. Sounds so yeah, like a really interesting game. Yeah. How long is it? How long is it to play through? I I think I sat. I, it took me like 90 minutes, two hours. All right, oh, okay, all oh, right. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely really not that. a long game at all, but I did it in one sitting. And by the end of it, I was like, first of all, really fucking enjoyed that. Secondly, it's it's a game that has absolutely no dialogue, but is also, it, I love this inversion. 
Dear Esther, and all these other fucking things, right? Got loads of fucking dialogue because there's a voiceover constantly playing, fucking speaking a load of shit in your ear as you're exploring what is essentially just an empty fucking pack of fucking unity assets that they've bought or whatever, right? <laughs> so you like do you like Dear Esther? Say what you mean, Jim. Listen, listen. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not accusing Dear Esther of that. Of course not. No, 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 but <sighs> And that wasn't even in Unity, that was in Source Engine, so you can't accuse me of... Anyway, <laughs> right. No, no, but no. Like, the thing that always fucks me off about walking simulators is that it's like, well, what do I do? You look around and, and pick stuff up. and But, you know, and people always like to talk about how... Uh, it was that one that was set in a kind of leafy English village recently. Everybody's gone to the rapture. Everyone's I like that. Everybody's gone to the rapture. I liked it as well, but people were like, oh, it really feels like a real place. And it's like... Yeah, all these all these places feel like real places, but they don't have anyone in them. Like they're always empty. There's always a reason why there's no people. Of course, the real reason why there no people well, there's no people is that these things tend to be made by really small teams, and animating mm. people is really fucking hard, right? So they tend just not to have people in them. This has a has a really kind of it's not a naturalistic art style at all, although it is very filmic and. Uh, but but coincidentally, so if, for walking simulators, it has the least amount of walking around, and it has no dialogue. Whereas other walking simulators have all the dialogue, but no people. Like you know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a great it's thing. Expressive with, without. It, yeah. yeah 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 yeah. It flips a lot. It flips a lot of those kind of walking simulator quote unquote conventions, and is all the better for it. And mm. honestly, I, I mean, my brain didn't. Note. I mean, I knew there wasn't any dialogue in it, but my brain didn't really pick up on it. It mm. wasn't a problem. I didn't feel like, yeah, I really need. I really need people to say stuff before I understand what's going on. And it's like you, you didn't get that at all. I didn't feel like I was playing an oddly silent thing. It was just like, it was you know, these people definitely talk. You're you just you're only seeing the bits where they didn't, where they were only glancing at each other. Mm. You're not you're not seeing the stuff, and, and it really feeds into the idea that this was an edited kind of like like, like a highlight reel. Well, you don't experience. need to do your fucking video now, do you, so, you twat? You um, just said it all in here. Yeah, well, I will do a video. No, no. Not everyone's going to fucking listen to this, are they? <laughs> no, judging, judging, yes. It seems yes at the moment. Anyway, listen, that is the end. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions. Mm. We'll... See you soon for Alien Fun. Yeah. What?